Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and Fully Loaded Chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast where you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. Hello and welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. Hope everybody's doing good out there. I've had a pretty good week and uh, yeah, I'm ready to knock out a nice uh, podcast this afternoon. Let's see here. Uh, Didn't get any feedback on the college football talk last week, so either you guys don't care or you just got nothing to say about it, so maybe I need to take that cue and just lay off of that for a while, so... But uh, anyway, let's see here. This last weekend, got out to the property... Um, didn't get to get near as much done as I was hoping. Um, kind of one of the downsides to having multiple properties is we move a lot of equipment back and forth. And when I got up there, I needed all the equipment on one property and my dad and brother had all the equipment on the other property cause they were cutting hay and, and hauling stuff around. And so didn't have any equipment at my disposal, and that's kind of what I was shooting for. I wanted to work on some roads and uh, uh, do a little food plot prep. So didn't get to do any of that. I did, however, go check on my one cell link camera that uh, was not sending pictures, and I was correct. I had turned the camera on, but I had not turned the cell link on. So luckily it was taking pictures. Got to see that. Had, uh, I think, two does on the camera and uh, got the cell link turned on, and it's working now. So... So I now have uh, three cell cameras and two cell links, and so doing pretty good. Uh, so far, I like them. Um, the quality when it sends a picture is not super great. Uh, you know, I think it really diminishes the quality in order to send it. But uh, you know, you can definitely still tell what it is and all that good stuff. I haven't got a night photo. I feel like the night photos are going to be better or just easier to see than the daytime photos, and so still waiting on that, but. Got several cameras out, and I'm going to try my hardest not to go touch any of those cameras for several weeks. Um, you know, I, I, I went basically two weeks in a row kind of back in there to get them all set up, and so I just don't want to do that anymore. Um, got my first nice uh, buck on camera, though. A big, heavy eight-pointer. I don't recognize him. Uh, he looks a lot like the deer that I killed this last year. I mean, a lot like him. Uh, but obviously that deer is on my wall, so it's not the same one, but it's just kind of cool to see, you know, similar looking deer, uh, in the same area, just kind of how the genetics work. But so that was really cool. Um, this coming weekend might do a little fishing, uh, buddy and I are headed out. Uh, we're going to do some drone work on the property, uh, take some videos and stuff. So, so that'll be fun. And, uh, yeah, not a whole lot else going on. It's really hot. Um, <laughs> work's pretty busy. Um, so yeah, that's about all I have going on, but i got a really good podcast for you guys today. Today I'm talking to Dwayne Carter, and we go in deep on coyote hunting. And coyote hunting is something that um, I've done quite a bit of, but it's been a while. Uh, I had a buddy, an old high school buddy, that he got real into it, and he used to hunt a bunch of tournaments and stuff. And uh, so we would go a lot back in the day. I never hunted any of the tournaments with him, but just kind of when he was doing it for fun, and he tried to, to film for a little while, and so... I was always just a trigger man and you know, my family had property, so he wanted to come hunt our property. So I, I enjoyed it. I really loved doing it. It's something I'd like to do more. Um, but it was something that, uh, you know, I wouldn't call myself an expert at. And so it was really cool talking to Dwayne, having an, you know, an expert guy who does it a ton. I mean, he's killed a lot of coyotes in his day as he'll talk about and, and done some tournaments and even helped organize one. So, so yeah, just a great conversation 
And so really excited about this one. I hope you guys are too. Something a little different. Um, I don't think we've done really any varmint hunting stuff other than hogs. And so, yeah, really excited for this one. It came out great. And so without further ado, here's my podcast on coyote hunting with Dwayne Carter. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show today. Today I'm talking to Dwayne Carter. How are you doing, Dwayne? I'm doing good, John. How are you? Oh, I'm doing just fine. It's nice and hot outside, but uh, right now I'm just sitting in the man cave and talking to you, so no complaints right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, Dwayne, before we uh, get uh, off the deep end, why don't you just give us a quick little, you know, who you are, where you're from, and what you do type thing. Okay. Well, I'm Dwayne Carter, and I'm from around the Shawnee area my whole life pretty well. Um, I hunt for a TV show currently, Outdoor Nation TV. Um, a great group of guys, Jared Eversall and, and Rick Gage are the, the hosts of it, local television show. Um, I started filming coyote hunts in around 2008, still filming pretty well. Hunted with a TV show here, there, and then kind of went on my own and just started kind of coyote hunting and, and making videos and putting them on my own little hunting page. And man, I've had a blast doing it pretty fun real enjoyable mm-hmm. awesome um, awesome uh keep going sorry i feel like i interrupted you there no you didn't interrupt <laughs> me I, I i don't really know how far in depth you <laughs> want to go with that. oh that's that's uh, plenty good for me that's plenty good for me so uh well i think our main topic today is going to be coyote hunting and so uh before we get, you know, too crazy into it, why don't you just give us a little background? What kind of got you into coyote hunting? You know, how'd you get started and all that stuff? Well, in 2005, you know, I was from Dale. And back in 2005, the early 2000s, there weren't, there weren't a whole lot of coyote hunters around. So around 2005, a, a good buddy of mine, Justin Carpenter, introduced me to it. You know, he was from Prague and, and Prague's 30 miles away. Well, there were quite, there was a group of, outstanding predator hunters from the Prague area but around my home around Dale and and Bethel and and Meeker area there weren't a whole lot of coyote hunters so I'm buddying up with Justin and he's telling me about all this coyote hunting and I'm like you know I've, I've never done it I'm intrigued by it you know I get to hunt something else or you know throughout the rest of the year and so he takes me out and he calls up the coyote and, and you know I think man that's cool that, that's neat and uh it wasn't long after that I went out uh, matter of fact, where I just killed a coyote yesterday um, on video just south of where I currently live. Um, I called up and killed my very first coyote in 2005. And, man, it was neat. It was just, you know, I was out there by myself, you know, with an old, I can't even remember what gun. I think I had a Thompson Encore and a 22-250. And I was blowing a mouth call, and I just sat on a terrace, and here comes this coyote. You know, when I trick, he comes out about 100 yards galloping, and I whistled at him and stopped him and shot him and i was like man this that's pretty cool you know i, I just outsmarted a coyote i just hauled up you know it, it wasn't like deer hunting where you're sitting there waiting on something to happen i actually went out and made something happen and it was pretty it was pretty cool so you know i've got a whole bunch of fresh ground over in my area where there weren't a whole lot of coyote hunters and so so i start going out after work i worked at shawnee milling at the time i start going out after work and i start coyote hunting and man, about every time I blew a critter call, there were coyotes coming in, you know, and I'm killing them. I'm killing two or three or four an afternoon after work. And I'm, I'm going back to work at Shawnee Mill. You know, I'm an 18, 19 year old kid, you know, who deer hunted a little bit, but you know, not known as a, a great hunter at all. And I'm telling these guys about all these coyotes that I'm, I'm calling up and I'm killing. And, and, uh, one day I called in this, this coyote and it was actually up here about pretty close to where I live now around Prague. I called up this coyote with two buddies and he comes running up this old, this old two track road and he's got a rabbit T-bone in his mouth. You know, I'll never forget watching that happen, you know, way back then when I'm 18, 19 years old. And I just thought, man, that's a cool scene. You know, I hadn't seen a whole lot of coyotes back then. So when you call up a coyote and you see a, a rabbit T-bone in his mouth, I thought it was pretty, pretty special, pretty cool. And I go to work and I'm telling these guys, it just so happened. Oh, a couple of days later, I was over, you know, at a different place critter calling before i even got set up it's february the 26th it's two days after my birthday and i watched this doe come walking down this creek and then here comes this big buck you know i'm talking 150 160 class wide beautiful buck 
And here comes another one. And before I know it, these two bucks are fighting. And it's February the 26th. You know, a lot of deer have lost their antlers already. And I'm like, what in the world? So I'm sitting there watching them through my scope. I called my cousin Kyle and I'm like, Kyle, I'm watching two bucks fight. He's like, really? What? And I'm like, I'm serious. I was like, I'm watching it right now, you know, and I'm giving play by play what's going on. And he's like, no way. And so I watch them and, and they go on and one of them chases a doe back and forth. I don't know if it was a yearling that come in late. I don't know what the deal was, but February the 26th, I went back to work and tell them, them guys that, and they're like, there's no way that didn't happen. You know, they're, they're doing everything, but just flat out call me a liar. And I'm like, well, I don't blame you for not believing me, but I seen it. Mm-hmm. So within a week of that, I went and bought a video camera. And so that's when I kind of, I started trying to videotape things that I did as an 18 year old kid that, you know, them guys even around that I worked with, they, none of them were big coyote hunters. So they didn't know, I didn't realize at the time how well we had it back then. You know, there, there weren't, there wasn't any pressure on coyotes. You'd go out there and just blow a critical and, and sit there for a little bit. If you had the wind right, and you had a decent set and call up coyotes and kill them. And, and it was, it was all fresh ground, you know, which you know how important fresh ground is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was just, it was pretty neat. I'd, I'd video them, them coyotes with an old Sony with an eight millimeter cassette tape. And, you know, I'd come to work and I didn't have any way of showing it. And I'd flip open my video camera and we just watched it right there on the screen. And they're like, man, that's neat, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, you know, that went on for, for a couple of years. I had a lot of fun with that. Um, and, and then, you know, it was, it was pretty well mouth calling back then. And then me and my buddy, Scotty Smith, we killed, we killed four or five bobcats one year and then and then I had a couple bobcats given to me and I think we might have trapped one or two and we took them to the first sale and I think I made oh seven hundred dollars or something hmm. so I took half that and I bought my first electronic caller a, a Fox Pro FX3 mm-hmm. and I couldn't call a coyote up with that thing to save my life I don't know what the deal was I don't know if way back then i just was naive and i didn't know what i was doing and i didn't i know that i didn't mm-hmm. um but i bet i didn't call up a handful of call of coyotes that first year using that electronic caller so i went back to mouth calling mm-hmm. you know and then i could i finally you know when you start coyote hunting you start meeting other coyote hunters and you start kind of sharing strategies and whatnot so i'm talking to all these people and they're having all this great luck with these electronic calls and i'm like man i just can't do it I don't know what I'm, I don't know if I'm playing it too loud. I don't know if I'm playing it too long. I don't know if I'm making a, a, a bad set. You know, I'm still young trying to learn. And, and finally one day it kind of clicked that I wasn't really making great sets. Um, I was setting kind of unorthodox really. And I still set up somewhat that way, but I would always point my gun straight downwind, um, which would make me now think I was hunting a crosswind you know, mm-hmm. trying to get the coyotes out of where I thought they were. And I mean, that's for a long time, even just mouth calling, I could point my gun downwind and, and 90% of my coyotes I would kill within, you know, a 50 yard circle of, of downwind, mm-hmm. you know, but I would catch, but I would catch them then before they would catch my wind. Yeah. Um, now, now real quick, when you were using your electronic call, would you have it beside you or would you put it up wind of you? I would put it up wind of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if maybe that, I don't know. I don't know what I was doing wrong. I just didn't really have, have the luck with it. Um, and so finally, you know, a few years later passed and I ended up getting the, the 24 C and I took that dude out and just started murdering coyotes. Mm-hmm. You know, you had all them pup stresses and you had all them vocals and you had, you know, some great sounding rabbits and I don't know what it was. I don't know if I just didn't have confidence and, and was cut myself short with that FX three. Mm-hmm. But when I got that CS 24 C, it was, it was phenomenal. It was lights out. Um, you know, every time I went, I was calling up coyotes. It seemed like, mm-hmm. of course, there were a lot of fresh sounds that, that the coyotes had never heard. Also, yeah. maybe I was hunting my places too much. I don't know. I mean, I was 18, 19 year old kid way back then. So, um, but it's pretty cool. Uh, I, I I quit videotaping after after my first video camera 
broke down on me. And so I just kept coyote hunting and, and we started the North Canadian coyote tournament, a good buddy of mine, Marcus Redunzel in, I don't know, 12 years ago from now, whenever in the world that is, mm-hmm. um, I'm pretty sure it was our 12th year last year. And, you know, we had six, eight teams in it the very first year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, good buddy of mine, Sean Morales, Jamie Eaton, Marcus Dunzel, Tommy Shamrock, uh, David Clater, me, my cousin Lance, my buddy Shane Dockery, Brandon Carpenter, you know, we all get our teams together and we go out. And it took three coyotes to win that mm-hmm. that year, and which isn't really anything nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I really don't know what the deal was then. We killed two. We, we missed out on first place. And so I'm like, man, this is pretty cool. You know, you get to go out and see how you can compete against these other guys. Uh, you know, on a given day, uh, under, you know, certain weather conditions, everybody's built the same cards, basically. Mm-hmm. And and so we start, uh, I'm like, yeah, we're, we're going to hunt this. We're going to hunt this tournament the next year. And kind of it was our yearly deal. You know, we'd, we'd hunt places and whatnot. And, and then, and then I was like, well, now it's more competitive because the next year there were quite a few more teams mm-hmm. and the next year there were more teams. So I'm like, well, if it's getting more competitive, we're going to have to do our homework a little bit better and, and start laying our sets out a little bit better and, and be more efficient with our time and how many sets we can make. And kind of, kind of became a, uh, I don't know. It's, it's weird because I love the tournaments, but it started taking away from my going out and just coyote hunting with my buddies, you know, going out and having fun and making a couple of sets, you know, it, it became more of a challenge. We're saving all this ground now and we're not hunting it. And, and, uh, I kind of got off in left field a little bit, but, That's all right. yeah, but it's it, 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 it kind of took away from it a little bit. And then my partner, Brandon Carpenter, he moves out to Western Oklahoma around, well, I'm not going to say around where, but he moves <laughs> out to Western Oklahoma and, uh, Man, we go out there, and I've never called Western Oklahoma really, and it was a totally different ball game. And so, so Brandon Carpenter, he's gathering up all his he does hay, kind of like you, and so he's got all these hay fields, and he's got access to all this land, and he starts talking to all the neighbors and whatnot, and he starts gathering up land. And before I know it, you know, we've got we've got enough places out there where we could call for three days straight, you know, and never never hit the same property. Mm-hmm. And, and we started doing pretty good. We started moving a bunch of coyotes um, on these tournaments. One year we moved 21 coyotes. We only killed nine, but we had quads coming in. We had <laughs> five triples that day. It was it was unbelievable. Um, we only missed one. We should have killed 10. I think we killed the biggest. We ended up killing the biggest coyote and the smallest coyote that year. <laughs> and uh, walked out of there was $6,400. Nice. It was it was pretty pretty crazy, you know. Yeah. That that North that North Canadian tournament it grew from like eight people to I think that year there was 150 teams in it, something like that. Hmm. That's um, awesome. You know, 130 to 150, and man, it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I wanna I wanna but, step back real quick for just a second. Um, you know, going back to when you first got started, that 2005 you know time period. Were you like were you just hunting some family land? Was were you getting permission on other people's? Uh, you know, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I was getting from well, actually all the guys that I worked with at the time. They're like, well, man, I got some land over here. You know, come mm. you come over here and coyote hunt. And so next thing you know, I was getting their neighbor's property, and because nobody was killing coyotes back then, so it was pretty easy to go and talk to somebody. Yeah, come mm-hmm. come coyote hunt. Yeah, um, I didn't have a lot of competition way back then like there are today. Mm-hmm. Today, you know, everybody's grandson and nephew and everybody wants to coyote hunt. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little bit harder to pick up ground for coyote hunting. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. Um, you know, a good buddy of mine that used to hunt a bunch of tournaments and it was kind of funny. That's kind of like we were already kind of friends, but what kind of really brought us together was my family had land and he wanted to coyote hunt it. And, uh, of course he would take me along. So it worked out, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I was always amazed. Like when, when, he and I first started going together. I was always amazed because we'd go to, you know, a big property and, you know, we'd hunted a couple times. We'd do real well, you know, you know, a couple different spots is what I meant, you know, have a couple different sits on it. And then, uh, 
you know, like a few weeks later, be like, hey, like, let's go kite hunting. He's like, no. And I was like, what? And, you know, he, like, he didn't want to hunt that property again until the next year, uh, you know, because, yeah. you know, he didn't want to overhunt it. And so I learned all about that. But, uh, I just, yeah, I can't imagine as like a 18 or 19 year old just getting into it. It had to be really hard to not overhunt all your spots. It was, it was real hard. Mm-hmm. And I had some places that were very high percentage places. I had one farm, a dairy farm that I don't know how many coyotes were on this place, but I bet I killed, I bet I killed 12 coyotes off of that half section in one season mm-hmm. and you know I, I didn't even kill all of them yeah it, just, it was crazy mm-hmm. so uh so real quick uh i keep saying real quick but i know none of this is super quick but uh, i want to hit on a little bit uh just kind of like how would you tweak your setup from hunting you know i'm going to say eastern oklahoma versus western oklahoma you know more timbered stuff rolling stuff in the east to more wide open in the west you know like in the when you're hunting in the east and you have clumps of trees and pastures and stuff you can kind of you know you can somewhat guess like all right i think coyotes might be here the wind is working this way you know they might follow this tree line and that type of thing so i guess i'm going to say they're a little bit more predictable possibly and then you know when you go out west and it's just a wide open uh just talk about kind of the difference there and how you change your setups for each one Right. Um, we just run a bunch of rolling sand hills uh, pretty well. So the year that we did the best, we made a lot of base, almost road sets. You know, mm-hmm. we wouldn't get off the road a hundred yards, but I think that was helping us because we weren't bumping coyotes. You know, mm-hmm. coyotes weren't seeing us or, or happened to be downwind of us, bedded down in the little plum thickets. Um, out in the eastern Oklahoma, you know, you, of course, around here, I would go out and scout and I'd hear them and I'd know where they're at and I'd wait on wait on myself to get a good win for a for a crosswind and go in there and set somewhere where I can see and usually they'd sure enough try to circle downwind and, and get them killed that way. But out there it was it was crazy. Um they would come from they would come I've watched them run in from three quarters of a mile out there and know that they ran from a mile. Mm-hmm. Uh it, it's different. But it's it's I guess it's easier out there. You could see you could see what's going on, you know. Mm-hmm. If a coyote hangs up out there you can see him out there versus versus in eastern Oklahoma. If a coyote hangs up at three hundred yards, there's more likely a, a clump of trees between you and him. And you can kinda once you see one, you can kinda read his body language and, and figure out how to get him to come on in. Um, I don't know if I even answered your question yeah, properly no, there. <laughs> no, that was great. No, you did good. Yeah. All right. Cool. So you've talked about it a little bit, but uh, I mean, nowadays, you know, if you went out and knocked on a couple doors, would you say it's easy to get permission, hard to get permission? Depends on where you're at. Talk about that a little bit. It it definitely depends on where you're at. Um, you know, some of these old school guys around around where I live now, I live around between Prague and Maker now. Some of these old school guys, they have a lot of coyote ground hemmed up. Uh, some of your bigger ranches, they've got coyote hunters in in there that you know they're not going to let just anybody because they've they've had that property lined up for for years and been going out there and built a relationship with them um you know about like deer hunting mm-hmm. it's kind of the same deal it, it's harder to get deer hunting land now than what there was than what it was 10 15 years ago mm-hmm. um but i would i don't know i can still get permission to hunt coyote hunt around here pretty good I've built a reputation enough to where people can see the videos on on my hunting page, and and I actually get people, hey, you know, we got coyotes. Coyotes are coming to the backyard. Come over here, and I'm like, well, how much land do you got? And they're like, well, we got <laughs> five acres. And I'm like, well, what about your neighbor? And they're like, oh, that's Farmer Joe. Well, do you think Farmer Joe would let me hunt? And I've actually gotten into some some of my greatest places like that. Hmm. Um, yeah, you know, tell them to come on out. You know, go out and I meet the guy and and be polite and courteous and and get permission to hunt it. Gotcha. Awesome. So, you know, when you're looking for land, what uh, what sticks out to you? Like, what are you looking for in a property? You know, what makes you look at a place and say, man, I think there's a lot of coyotes there, or, man, that looks awesome to hunt? <sighs> That's a good question. I mean, always around cattle is good. Um, somewhere where I can see a little bit. I'm not going to go and try to get permission to hunt a 160-acre clump of timber. Mm-hmm. Um not saying that you can't kill coyotes in there because you can mm. and and usually usually in the late season i will get in a timber um 
when when I can't call coyotes out into the fields, I'm grabbing my shotgun and I'm going to those little fingers, those little draws, those little creek lines, and I'm hunting the edges of them. And and there's nothing more exciting than mouth calling in the woods with a shotgun in your hands and hearing coyotes running, you know, and hear the leaves crunching before you ever even see the coyote running in at you. I mean, that's exciting. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty cool, pretty intense. Nice. It's hard to, it's a lot harder to film and I don't do it as much as I should because I've videoed some amazing shotgun kills, you know, real close, coming in fast, um, some, some really good stuff. Mm-hmm. But, and there's a lot of times you just can't video it, especially when you're self-filming. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned season just a little bit ago. What time frame are you usually hunting? You know, most people aren't hunting in the heat of the summer, obviously. So uh, when would you say so, you kind of start and finish? So I start my numbers over usually around June. Mm-hmm. And I don't hunt much from April to uh, probably March. Probably March to June. I don't hunt very much. I usually stop. Yeah end of february um and i give them a break for about three months but then comes about june i start hitting them again because all my fawns are hitting the ground i'm a big time deer mm. hunter also gotcha all my fawns are hitting the ground and then coyotes they haven't heard of they haven't heard a call in three months they hadn't been messed with you got the pups i mean we've already killed six since june um most of them have been here within the last three weeks uh, you got all your your farmers cutting hay Man, I'm seeing coyotes here, and I'm seeing coyotes there. You know, I have I got one mile section over here. I just picked up this year. They were having a bad coyote problem, and and my farmer, he he calls me up and he's like, "Man, we got coyotes everywhere. You know, they're they're just everywhere. You're, you're gonna have to come start killing them." So mm-hmm. I went over there and kill, called up five, I think maybe a month ago, mm-hmm. and killed two of them by myself. I didn't take the video camera. It was the first time that I stepped foot on this property, and these these farmers are wanting them killed they don't mm-hmm. care if i video it or not they're they're right. actually wanting them killed and killed two out of five by myself and then me and my little neighbor preston hodges we went back up there oh three weeks a month ago called up one and, and shot it and it got away i shot it right in the nose it uh, video and had two cameras going he come up to a terrace and held up on me and i had my scope down low in case he came in real hot you know, I'd have a bigger field of view, and he held up on a terrace at 100 yards, and all I could see was his head. And, uh, you know, I just tried to put it on his head, and as soon as the trigger broke, I knew I was on his snout. And Anyway, shot him on the snout, shot him right in the snout. He runs off and gets away. We went back the next weekend in the morning and went on the other side of the mile section, called for just a little bit. Female comes up. He shoots it. And I was like, man, I, was, I haven't really – been on this property so we packed up our stuff and we just moved 300 yards up over the roll this hill uh kind of to see how the land laid out we were scouting but we were hunting we were hunting but we were scouting for future also found another blackberry thicket and we backed up into it standing up and it was a perfect saddle i i told i told preston i said if a coyote comes because we heard coyotes everywhere that that evening that i shot that one in the snout to our south i said if a coyote's down there and he hears it he's going to try to work the other side of this saddle and, and circle around and get downwind and sure enough i hit pup in his dress or one of them pup fights or something and, and here he come blazing in and preston got it shot on video just picture perfect we so we had two two more off of that place you know we've killed or shot five of them lost one go to the next hayfield set a call up on a round bell we're 75 yards off the road sitting on buckets right beside a round bell and turn on a squirrel baby jack and it was just one little bitty finger of timber and the rest of it was pretty wide open i was like man we're gonna have to be quiet get in here because if there are if there is a coyote in here we're uh we're gonna be set up pretty pretty close to him mm-hmm. and within a minute coyote breaks the tree line comes out there and he shoots it and kills it but he was wanting to hunt this other piece of property that same farmer has but it was a wrong set, you know, and he's a younger mm-hmm. coyote hunter, so he, he don't know a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And I told I told him when we was driving around, we drove by there, and there's an old wool pad. He's like, man, we need to go hunt that. And I'm like, the wind's wrong. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, man, we can make it happen. I was like, Preston, I was like, I've been there, and I've done that more times <laughs> than you can count. You're going to educate them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's not worth it. It, it ain't going to be no good. 
we'll save that spot and we'll hunt it when we have a lot higher percentage. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't you can't force a coyote. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are smart, very intelligent animals. Um, you, it's just you you got to play the odds. You got to play the numbers and 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 make a high percentage set. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like I, we need to clarify just for our listeners, in case some you know some of them aren't uh, coyote hunters. You know, a, a sit just kind of like in deer hunting. You know, in deer hunting, if you sit in the morning and the evening, most people would call that two sits. You know, and so with coyote hunting, you know, basically a, a call sequence is a sit. So you call, yeah. you either kill one and you don't, and then you move to another spot, and that would be a second. So you yeah. have you know multiple sits in an afternoon or whatever. Uh, I, I feel like right. we should you know clarify that for our listeners. Um, absolutely and uh that kind of brings up or go ahead yeah that preston he he couldn't believe that that morning when we killed that one then we moved 300 yards just over the hill and called again when we got done he was like i wouldn't that goes against everything i've ever thought (laughs) he said i i would have never dreamed that we could just move 300 yards Mm -hmm. you know after making a 30 minute set and and call again and kill up another coyote Mm -hmm. because he wasn't shooting suppressed then yeah he he is now, mm-hmm. but he wasn't then. And uh, I was like, yeah, I was like, man, you know, you're just a different angle. Mm-hmm. Um, the sound's getting a little bit further, you know, over this hill, and you know, it was pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Pretty neat. Yeah. It, it's cool. It's cool getting them younger guys that don't really know. Like he would have, if if I hadn't been there, he would have forced that other set by the wolf pad, mm-hmm. and he wouldn't have had any luck there. And then the next time he went there, the coach you know, probably more than likely would have been call shy because more than likely they would have got downwind of him in that in that draw and winded him before he ever even seen him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm yeah. I'm sure uh I'm sure this varies greatly depending on terrain, but I, I did want to ask, you know, like kinda what your distance is, you know, how how close will you do a set? How far away do you think you need to do a set? And obviously that's you know, there's a lot of variance to that, but you have some kind of a, a rule of thumb or ballpark you go by? Man, when we're out west, I like to hunt. Man, I like to have at least a, uh, a half a section mm-hmm. per set out west. Mm-hmm. Back here at home, man, I have sat there and called and killed coyotes and moved 200, 300 yards and called and killed coyotes again. Um, kind of, it just kind of depends on the terrain and, and where you're, where you think they're at and, the time of day also, mm-hmm. um, you know, later on in the evenings, it seems like, or, or early in the mornings, you coyotes are on the move, they're up on their feet, and you never know what's mouse around out in the field, and, you know, you, you change your angle up just a little bit, and, you know, get them to come in, and you got you got your boundaries also, you know, a coyote just sometimes won't cross a creek, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep, makes sense. And then this one, also kind of a two-part question, just kind of your calling sequence. Like, you know, how long will you give a sit? And, uh, you know, like if you, let's say you shoot a coyote, you know, real quick, you know, a couple minutes in, are you going to continue to sit and keep calling for a while? And then on the other side of that, how how long will you call without seeing something until you're like, all right, it's time to, you know, move on? That all depends on if I carry all my camera equipment in or not if i carry two cameras in and a bucket and it's summertime like what it is now mm-hmm. i'm making one set um you know it, it's hot right now and that's a lot of gear to pack in and out mm-hmm. and right now i'll go out and i'll make a 45 minute or an hour long set mm-hmm. um especially when you're taking the video cameras and whatnot and yeah if you kill a coyote early if you kill a coyote earlier early in your in your call more than likely there's another coyote that's heard you mm-hmm. um so usually I'll sit there and, and, and try to try to trigger them. Sometimes, sometimes this time of year, you got to, it's almost like fishing. You got to throw different sounds at them and, and get them to, to just hit their trigger and get them to come in. Mm-hmm. Now let's it's, say that, um, let's say you're sitting for 45 minutes. Are you calling consistently or will you do, you know, maybe 15 minutes of calling, <laughs> take a five, 10 minute break and continue on? Absolutely. Especially, especially this time of a year. Um, you know, if I go out an hour, like the other night, we went out an hour before, before dark and I called and I wanted to be heard, uh, started out with a, a pair of hell, I think. And, and I wanted to be heard, wanted, wanted coyotes in the area to know there's another coyote out there. And I waited for a little while and then I went into rabbit. It's basic standard little 
scenarios that I go through and, and a lot of people go through. And then I sit there after that coyote's hurt it, he's hurt it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll sit there for five or 10 minutes and then I'll go into your pups, just pup fights, pup, pup distress. And I'll play that long enough for him to hear it and I'll sit there. I'll turn it off and I'll sit there for another 10 minutes. And it seems like I get more coats nowadays that are maybe educated. Mm-hmm. Seems like I get them to come in longer in the set. You know, they're in your 30 minute, 45 minute mark, you know, way later. They're, they're educated, they're leery. Maybe like the other night, I was talking to Sean Morales. He's a he's a great coyote hunting buddy of mine. Uh, does crosswind guide service. I don't know if you ever heard of him down here at Texoma. Um, he's he loves coyote hunting, and so we call and we tell each other kind of what we've been doing and and what's working. And this coyote the other night, he didn't it didn't come in until it was nearly dark. And I don't know if it's because I finally played a sound that triggered it, or if that coyote waited on a little bit of the cover of darkness. You know, for the sun mm-hmm. to come down to where it was, it just had a little bit more, it felt more comfortable coming out when it was a little bit darker. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what that coyote was doing. I, I, I'm i pretty sure I know right where that coyote was at, and I'm pretty sure it was just waiting on the cover of darkness, or maybe I hit a sound that just triggered it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not real sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, different times of year, you know, when it's tournaments, tournaments, I'm a, a numbers guy. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's 20 minutes not out yeah you know we're trying to we're trying to we're trying to concentrate on them coyotes that are that are fresh and green and and make as many sets as what we can and go by the go by the numbers um you know you you waste 30 minutes on on a set when you could have made maybe two two sets or made three instead of two mm-hmm. that third set you could have picked up a double where maybe you would have only picked up one at, at the longer set right well it just kind of depends mm-hmm all just kind of depends and, and, you know, making a good solid set. And I, if I'm confident there's coyotes in the area and they can't get my wind, um, I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I can to push their buttons and get them to come in. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to change the gears just a little bit here. Um, if there's one thing I, uh, learned hanging out with some coyote hunters is that they love their guns. And, uh, and a lot of them love their wildcat, you know, kind of crazy rounds. And so, uh, I guess, what do you shoot? Do you, uh, you know, do you have certain guns that you will and won't shoot? Um, you know, like you said, you, I think you said earlier, you started out, you know, shooting a 22-250. That's what I shoot most of the time. Um, but I know there's also some, some people that get pretty crazy with their guns. So talk about guns for a few minutes. Right. So... I've been shooting a, a Savage Predator Hunter multi in and a twenty two two fifty for a lot of years now. It's my go-to. It's good. It's flat shooting. Uh, with that suppressor, it's quiet, no recoil. It's, you know, it's a great round. Um, I've got it really figured out on the running coyotes. It, it's faster. I took, I got an Armalite 308 AR-10 that shoots like I've never shot before. It'll shoot a half a minute at 100 yards. It's unbelievable. And I got a Night Force scope on it. And I like the glass on it. I, I probably need to take that scope off and put it on my 22250. Mm-hmm. But man, that 308 just won't hardly kill coyotes. Mm-hmm. I took it to the I took it to the tournament last year, and I killed four coyotes, and all four of them moved. Mm-hmm. All four of them spun, run, uh, ran off. You'd have to go track them in that tall weeds and you know that scrub brush and whatnot. Like mm-hmm. to never find them, and it'd be a perfect heart shot. But that mm-hmm. that slower 308 just didn't do it for me. The twenty-two-two fifty, it's fast. It, it knocks them down. Any of them twenty-two calibers are amazing. Mm-hmm. But during tournaments, um, besides this last year, and I know you're probably going to laugh at me, and a lot of people have, but I take my three hundred WSM. <laughs> gotcha. I've uh, out in Western Oklahoma. The wind's blowing. The wind's blowing twenty miles an hour every time you go out there, and I don't know how many times I've had to shoot through you know 30 foot of grass to get mm-hmm. to a coyote in, in that tall grass out in western oklahoma and that 22250 it just don't do it yeah um that 300 wsm it's it's my most accurate you know my best scope i know it the best out to 500 yards or so and uh that's just 
if I if I do happen to try to pick up a runner and I hit it back, that, that 300 WSM will slow it down enough to where we can get it killed usually mm-hmm. if it don't kill it anyway. Yeah. Uh, mainly 22250 and and that 300 WSM um that that's what I that's what I shoot. Mhm. Gotcha. Yeah, I know I know 243s are popular or any, you know, 7 millimeter type round. Um Right. And then and you know a lot of people I think, you know, if they're just a casual hunter or you know maybe they've shot a couple of coyotes out of their deer blind, uh you know a lot of people are just going to you know, take their deer rifle, which is fine. Um, but I, I would say almost more important than the caliber of the rifle is the glass on top. Um, absolutely. Because one, you know, a lot of people don't think about this, but you're shooting a much smaller critter than a deer. Um, and, and they're just as, if not more camouflaged and, and, you know, you might have to reach out there a little further. And so, um, so yeah, do you, do you like a, like, are you more concerned about a high power scope? Or are you more concerned about glass quality? Talk about scopes a little bit. So I used to have a Bushnell Elite 4200, um, which the bottom end was six power. It was six to 24, you know, and I thought, oh, that's what I want for coyote hunting. You know, I'll be able to, you know, see them real good out there at three, 400 yards and whatnot. And then I got to realizing my field of view was absolutely horrible when they were coming and charging in at 50 yards. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely horrible. So, so I dropped down to a. I, I got picked up by Cellmark for uh, to be a pro staff for my thermal scope for my pig hunting. Mm-hmm. Just from them watching my videos, I got I got in with uh, Kevin Reese down there, and, and he started watching my videos and seeing the traffic on them, and and so I got in with him, and I picked up a uh, a Sightmark four to four to sixteen power scope mm-hmm. and uh man the glass is really clear i like the crosshairs um it's a it's a pretty good scope it's it's not my night force that's on my 300 wsm by any means but mm-hmm. it's a pretty good scope but i love the low end i like i like mm-hmm. the four i would never shoot anything higher than than a four on your low end just because you lose that field of view on your coyotes that are charging in mm-hmm. and those are the ones that you've got to kill you know when you get a coyote inside of 100 yards uh, which happens more than probably not. I mean, I probably kill most of my coyotes inside of a hundred, you know, inside of 150 for sure. Um, but that field of view, I think is more important than, <clears throat> than being able to shoot them out there, mm-hmm. you know, over 300. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, I think that's just a, a young hunter type thing. I, I wouldn't even say inexperienced. I'm talking more age, but you know, everybody, everybody's way more concerned about the top end of the scope than the low end. And, uh, and that's one big change that I've made just, you know, over the course of my hunting career. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd ever buy anything unless it was just a strictly target gun. But, uh, as far as hunting, I don't think I'd ever want something with a, a low end over four power. Um, and, uh, a lot of my hog guns, I actually prefer, I, I have a, a Zeiss, uh, two by 10 that I absolutely love for hogs. Cause I'm, I'm usually not shooting super far. Um, and you never know when that hog's going to be super close and you need that wide field of view. Yes, you do. hundred percent. So. Yep. Yeah, it took me, it took me a while to figure that out. And then once I changed, I was like, I'm, uh, that's just retarded for me to have six power in my low end. It, it just, it's so much harder for you to find that target mm-hmm. when six power is your low end. It, you know, and then my, my daughter, she started shooting that gun a little bit and it's, you know, a, a kid, she couldn't get on target hardly. I mean, you just about have to point the gun for her in that direction and, and let her find it. But mm-hmm. yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, the way I want to kind of close coyotes out is, uh, I just kind of want you to like, Walk me through your process. So, you know, you're out in the field, you're in your truck, you're about to get out. Kind of just walk me through, you know, you do this, you're looking for this, you're setting up here, uh, you're, you know, maybe waiting before your call sequence or starting your call sequence. Just kind of walk me through your whole process, basically from truck to truck. Right. All right. So, so I, I usually know where I'm going according to the wind. I'm, I'm looking at my, I'm looking at the weather. I need to know which way the wind's blowing. I need to know where I think the coyotes are or where I know the coyotes are. And I, I'm a real big crosswind hunter. I like for the coyotes to, I don't like eating the wind a hundred percent. I feel like if a coyote really can't get downwind of what he wants, then sometimes they won't come. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they do, but 
but I think a lot of your more mature coyotes won't. Um, so I, I like to crosswind a lot. I like to, like on that mile section that we hunted, I went out there and the wind was blowing from left to right. I knew my coyotes were to the south of us, and I knew they were going to circle around and use this saddle to, to try to cut, because they're going to try to cut your wind. I mean, 90% of the time, they may wait till they get 100 yards to start cutting your, your wind, or they, they may start cutting your wind out there at 350 yards. Um, so I like to I like to see the wind direction and, and know where my coyotes are and make sure, you know, you, you can't have your wind blowing straight towards them, obviously. But I don't really like eating it neither 100%. Um, in the woods is different. I can eat, I can eat the wind a hundred percent in the woods. I feel like because they got the cover of the woods, you know, they'll, they usually come, come blazing in no matter what, when, when you're in the woods and they got that cover, but kind of, it kind of depends on, on your layout. You know, I, I do want a vantage point. I shoot off of a reaper grip. So in the last four years, I, I stand up on probably 90% of my sets <laughs> Because you can see over those terraces, and you can see you can see over the hill a little bit further, and and I can find a coyote coming in way faster standing up than I could if I was sitting on the ground or sitting on a bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I, I I try to set up on a crosswind, um, and and wait for them to come in and try to circle my downwind and catch them in between. Gotcha. That was probably a horrible. That's probably a horrible explanation. <laughs> that's good. Um, talk about real quick, like uh, uh, you know, I, I don't expect you to go through your whole call sequence, and I'm sure it's a little different, but just kind of like where where's your call in relation to where you're hunting, and and how do you use you know like like when you get set up, do you wait five minutes before you turn the call on? Do you just kind of walk out there and kick it on to start working? Uh, walk through that a little uh, bit. So sometimes I wait. Sometimes I do wait. I'll sit there for five minutes and get everything set up. Of course, I'm running two cameras a lot of times uh, this time of year. So you set up all the cameras, and and I usually I usually set the call upwind of me, um, maybe towards the crosswind if I'm if I'm hunting a crosswind. So you know if I'm looking to the if I'm looking to the east and the winds out of the north, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably walk northeast and set it up out there about forty or fifty yards or so. Uh, you know, if it's a wide open field, sometimes I'll go set it up on top of a hay bale, uh, a little bit further away from me, that coyote that we killed the other day. Um, I had that, we were so close quarters to, to where I thought the coyote was. We were probably only 70 yards from the tree line. And I took that call about 50 yards straight to my south and set it up on top of a round bale because I knew this coyote was going to come out of this timber. And when he was looking towards that call, I didn't want him to be looking towards us. So, so, you know, it kind of helped us intercept him between coming out of the timber and, and looking at the collar or going towards the collar. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, and it, it all varies. You know, sometimes, depending on, I, I, like, I like putting my call up on a tripod out in western Oklahoma and that tall grass, it, it seems like the, the sound carries a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. I'm, running the, I'm running the Lucky Duck Revolt now, so I got a small tripod on it, and I love that call. Uh, the way that you can rotate it, you know, and you could pick, you could throw that sound to the south, or you could spin it over and throw it to the north, or you could pan it back and forth. That gives a little more realistic to the to the calling to the sound. You know, throwing that sound at different angles. If you get the same you know ambient sound blowing in the same direction, it kind of sounds the same. But if you start turning it, it looks more like rabbits. You know, squalling and he's flopping around and, and turning his head and throwing his throwing that sound in different directions and brings more more realistic to the to the set hmm. nice that's awesome yeah i uh, i guess i've been out of the game a little too long i didn't know they had rotating calls but that makes a lot of sense oh man it, it's the coolest <laughs> thing ever they, they they're fixing they're fixing to come out with the revolt too which is about like the the lucky duck roughneck except for it it does spin on a tripod just like mm-hmm. the revolt <laughs> and uh, or it may be the revolt too but i think it's the newer collar on top of this spinning device mm but I can't wait. I can't wait for it to come out. It, it's a good one. Awesome. Awesome. Sweet. Well, uh, man, we covered a lot there. Uh, I do, I, I, I can't help but talk about hogs just a little bit, just a few minutes. <laughs> I think the biggest question I have is, uh, uh, do you have an easier time getting permission to hunt hogs than you do coyotes? 
uh, because I have a, I have several people message me, uh, all the time, have for over the years, like, you know, people from out of state wanting, you know, in a place where they don't have hogs and basically asking, you know, if they come down, how easy is it to, you know, knock on a door and get permission? So I don't know how much of that you do, um, or if you, you know, kind of already have all the land you need, but, uh, is it easier to get permission to hunt hogs than it is coyotes or deer? Um, so I don't have a whole lot just right here close, close to home. I go to Corny with a good buddy of mine, Craig Hunt, and he's got access to thousands of acres where they're feeding thousands of cattle and they got feed bunks and, and creep feeders. And I'm sure you've been around those. If you've mm-hmm. got a feed bunk or a creep feeder, you're going to have pigs. Oh yeah. And, uh, man, they love, they absolutely love it when we come out and hunt them. Um, you, you can get permission to hunt, hunt pigs pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's big, they're, they're getting to be more thermal guys in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more pigs that we get and, you know, you could show them videos and anytime anybody sees a thermal video, they're like, that is awesome. And, mm-hmm. and people are buying them. And then, I mean, pigs are probably the number one hunted animal in Oklahoma right now. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least, at least the, the, on the rise, yeah. um, the most, mm-hmm. because it's neat, you know, mm-hmm. you're driving around at night with thermal and glass and all these places and seeing all these, all these things that, you know, almost should be illegal it's it's uh it's a different ball game it's pretty cool mm-hmm. definitely for sure um awesome well uh man I, I have more questions but i feel like we're at a pretty good stopping point here so i think we're going to go ahead and shut her down but uh before we do uh real quick um uh, why don't you give everybody you know how they can get a hold of you um or you know where they can see your videos and all that good stuff so my facebook page is Dwayne carter hunting and it was pretty funny how that came around. I, I started making my own videos and, you know, a lot of the people on my regular Facebook were like, you know, they don't care to see a bunch of dead animals all the time. <laughs> so I started, I started Dwayne Carter hunting DCH and, uh, I put my, put all of my content on that pretty well. Um, and then, and then, uh, DCH on YouTube and it's just DCH. It's just as simple as that. If you're looking for it, you may have to put DCH and then hunting and and you can get on there and check out a lot of my deer hunts and coyote hunts and thermal pig hunts and turkey hunting and bow fishing and and all that stuff um instagram i think it's dch also awesome so awesome man well i really appreciate you coming on and and giving us an education today well thanks for having me all righty man well we will talk to you later thanks again all right we'll see you john Thank you, Dwayne, for coming on the episode and giving us a great interview. That was fantastic. I sure learned a lot, and uh, it brought back a lot of memories for me. You know, like I said, it's been a couple years since I've done any real coyote hunting. Used to do quite a bit, and uh, yeah, it brought back a lot of good memories for me. So I hope you guys enjoyed it, too. I hope it was educational for y'all. Maybe it inspired somebody to get out there and try it. And uh, yeah, if anybody has any questions... Uh, feel free to shoot me a, a, a message or an email or Dwayne because it's an exciting way to hunt. It's an awesome thing to go after. And, you know, one of the cool things about coyote hunting is, you know, just the barrier to entry is not there like it is to deer hunting. You know, you don't have to pay for a lease. Um, you know, you basically buy some cheap camo and a rifle and get out there and do it. And so, yeah, it's a great way to get people into hunting. It's action-packed, and, and it can be a good challenge still, too. So, But, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this week. And so I hope you guys have had a good one. Stay out of the heat uh, and get ready because, as I keep saying, this fall is coming quick and uh, hunting season is going to be here before you know it. So get out there and get prepared, shoot your bow, and have a fantastic week. See you guys later.